This is Negotiate X Podcast, show number 83, part A. You're listening to Negotiate X Radio, helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations. If you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life, then you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online. Hello and welcome to the Negotiate X podcast. I'm your co-host and co-founder, Nolan Martin. And with me as always, co-host, co-founder, Aram Denisian. Aram, kick it over to you for today's interview. Thanks, Nolan. It is a huge privilege to introduce a de very dear friend and colleague to today's show. Uh, someone who I will say has had a profound impact both on my thinking professionally, but also on my personal life. U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel retired Rich Ramsey is a highly experienced coach and facilitator who works with corporate not-for-profit, education, and military clients to support their development and performance as individuals, teams, and organizations. He's an accredited coach to the International Coaching Federation and a trained executive coach through the Center for Executive Coaching. Rich retired from the Army in 2016 after 22 years, having served in numerous operational assignments, including three combat deployments to Iraq, conducting operations as a cavalry squadron operations officer and as an advisor for Iraqi security forces. As both a tactical officer at West Point and an air officer commanding an academic faculty member at the Air Force Academy, Rich contributed daily to the development of future military leaders. I had the opportunity to serve twice with Rich, the first time in the early 2000s at the National Training Center in California, and the second time at the Air Force Academy, both before and after he retired. After retiring, Rich continued to serve in the Air Force Academy's Center for Character and Leadership Development, fostering staff and faculty growth while also working with NCAA Division I athletic team captains to create successful conditions for their teams. Through his company, Maximize Potential Coaching and Consulting, Rich combines his vast expertise to create custom experiences for every client. He is committed to ensuring the well-being of his clients is top of mind because he believes when this is present, high-performance results quickly follow. Rich holds a master's in counseling and adult development from Long Island University and a bachelor's in political science from University of Michigan, Go Blue, that's a shout out given their recent championship. When he is not working with clients, Rich enjoys all forms of outdoor activities, especially trail running and kayaking with family and friends. Rich, thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thanks, Aram, man. Thanks, Nolan. And Aram, I think the impact is mutual. I'd say you've probably had more of an impact on me than I could have ever hoped to have on you. And just what I've learned from you and watching how you do life and, and how you work is amazing. And Nolan, it's it's great to be here with both of you today. Thanks, Rich. That's that's very kind. Hey, as we get started, I'm wondering if you might share with our listeners kind of how you'd frame your focus, uh, maybe even your what we might call a thesis statement when you go about this work that you do with leaders. Yeah, I think the um, first thing to consider, at least, you know, that helps me in the work that I get to do is Remembering that anything about leadership is ultimately a human-to-human, -human, a human-being-to-human-being -human -being interaction. Leadership is a human affair. 
And that's a starting point, but I think sometimes, uh, at least I'll speak for myself here, I can maybe forget about that and start to see people as more what they are able to do or what they produce, but maybe not as, you know, I lose sight a little bit of that, you know, I'm interacting with another human being. So I think one is keeping in mind that you're interacting with another human being. And, you know, anytime we're out to do something, out to make something happen, there's likely to be some sort of breakdown. There's likely to be some conflict, maybe some disagreement, things that we need to work through. And I think that's when defensiveness starts to set in. You know, I can get defensive that maybe somebody's not doing what I expected them to do or what I thought they were going to do. They can get defensive that, you know, I'm not pleased with what they're doing or how they're doing it. And that when that defensiveness sets in, I think that exacerbates the the issue of not really seeing them as a human being. And for me, it's it's like we all start to armor up. We all start to kind of put on this armor and, you know, in, in today's business world, business to business type conversation, sometimes, you know, I don't want to look bad. I want to be right. I don't want to be wrong. Whatever it might be, I put on this armor that gets in the way of me really having those effective human to human interactions. So I think, you know, you asked about kind of a theme or a, a thesis, it, it'd be around knowing when you're wearing armor and knowing when to drop that armor. Yeah, it's, that's a pretty powerful statement there and, and definitely easier said than done uh, from experience. So. Yeah. so I think many listeners will be surprised to hear a retired military officer talking about dropping your armor. Could you share a bit more contextually about experiences that have impacted this thinking and approach? Yeah, I'd like to say that it was before this, but I think I really got present to this around 2008 on one of the deployments to Iraq. And just to kind of back out into the bigger picture a little bit, uh, you know, what we're primarily dealing with in Iraq at that time is fighting between Sunni Muslims and Shia Muslims. And while they have many, many things in common, they also had some differences and those differences, you know, rose to the surface and it, it was causing problems. You know, not unlike we see in, in other countries around the world uh, when two groups of people, two or more groups of people just can't seem to agree on enough. Bringing it in a little bit closer is we were particularly operating in an area, it was called Solomon Pak. It was just south of Baghdad. And it was a region that was historically Shia. Uh, Iraq is predominantly Shia. And, you know, back into the earliest of, of times of, of Islam, it had been inhabited by Shia Muslims. When Saddam Hussein was put in power and Saddam being a Sunni, he took this area actually to be kind of a resort or a vacation area for Sunni uh, government officials, his friends, his, his colleagues. So the Shia kind of got pushed out. And then we were there soon after Saddam had been deposed as, a, as the ruler of Iraq. And the Shia now wanted their land back, even actually their homes back that um, Sunnis had come to inhabit. So it was, you know, what we called a fault line between Sunni and Shia conflict, uh, where there was daily uh, anywhere from a, a small skirmish of some kind to just some all-out fighting between large groups of people. And these weren't military people. These were, you know, common Iraqi citizens. So we found ourselves in anywhere from intervening in these skirmishes or these fights or maybe at a, a lunch with different leaders, village 
elders, village sheikhs, military, civilian alike, to large gatherings of hundreds of sheikhs. And I'm, I'm thinking both of you are well familiar with what you know these types of engagements like, might look like. And we were armored up, quite literally armored up, you know, from the helmets to the tinted eye protection to the the flak vests with the neck protection and the shoulder protection, groin protection, elbow pads, knee pads, uh, not to mention the different weapons we carried. So we looked different, very different from Iraqis who in these very rural areas and obviously family interacting with Iraqi men, wearing dishdashas, no armor at all, uh, and just you know being being themselves in the areas where they live. And here we are, we look like out of this world that I don't know, I, I don't think we look like human beings maybe to them. And I didn't see this at first, but what I saw is, you know, we'd go to these large uh, gatherings of hundreds of sheikhs and there would be the, the meeting that happened. And then there's the after the meeting that happens that, you know, in, in our world, it's around the, in the break room or back in our offices or whatever, where the kind of the real conversations take place. Maybe some of the real work gets done. And I was being excluded from those. I didn't have an in. And I was really blaming the Iraqis. Like, who, do they not realize that, you know, we're here to help? I'm here to help them do what they're trying to do. And then I looked at myself and I realized that, you know, what do they see? Like, who am I? Like, I, I'm this person. They can't even see my eyes. And in that culture, being able to look somebody in the eye uh, and have a, an intimate conversation with them is important. And I was preventing that because of all this armor I was wearing. And I realized that if I really wanted to have the impact I wanted to have and be able to help the way I wanted to help, uh, and, and you know, we went around and at that time saying to ourselves every day before we went out on a mission, we'd ask ourselves, what can we do to help make Iraq better today? That was just something that we asked ourselves. And I had to drop the armor if I wanted to do have any impact and, and help make a difference in the area we were operating. And so I realized once I did that, you know, things started to shift. Uh, I started to to be able to have more human to human interactions with the people I wanted to interact with. You know, it's a significantly complex environment that you're you're discussing here, Rich. You know, multiple parties involved, which just makes it difficult. But then you add in you know, deep, divisive histories, strong ethnic differences, incredibly high stakes, life and death. You know, how does someone in that situation fight the natural urge to add armor? Can you say a little bit more with that kind of figurative statement? I think we get the literal armor you were wearing, but how do we fight the kind of the, the figurative statement of art wearing armor when interacting with someone? When when your advice, right, if, if my inclination is actually to add the armor on, become more protective, your advice is we need to shed this. Now, I think first it's, you know, just realizing and being okay with wanting to add the armor is a natural, as, as you said, Aram, it's a natural urge. Our brains are wired to help keep us safe, to help protect us. And so, you know, when we're in a situation where we feel some sort of threat, whether it's a physical threat, like we potentially experienced in Iraq or a more psychological threat where we may not look good uh, in a meeting, we may not have the right answer. I think it's, you know, first just kind of realizing that it's really natural and there's nothing wrong or bad about wanting to add the armor. So I, th I think that's one thing. I think another thing then is the awareness that we're doing it. Awareness that I'm being defensive right now. 
awareness that I'm blaming somebody else for something, awareness that uh, I'm making somebody else out to be wrong or, you know, just not as prepared as I am or, or whatever it might be for you. Just having that moment of awareness that, you know, I'm doing this. And the challenge is that we're often quick then to judge ourselves. And this can kind of spiral, you know, a little bit in the wrong direction that, you know, I kind of beat myself up a little bit for it. When in reality, you know, the best thing to do might be to just say, yeah, I, I, this is what's happening right now. And just bringing that awareness and, and that might be all it takes. I think another useful thing is to accept that that's what I'm doing. You know, I'm, yep, I'm blaming them for being wrong or I'm blaming them for not doing what I expected them to do by when I expected them to do it. I, I'm aware I'm doing that and I accept that that's what I'm doing. Uh, I think those are a few things that can, you know, help us realize one, that we're putting the armor on. Uh, and in this case, you know, protecting ourselves from not looking bad or protecting ourselves to be right. And then just kind of sitting with it a little bit, not feeling necessarily like I, I need to do anything or the other, but being aware of it and seeing what happens then. So Rich, Aram often says, and I, and I know that he got this from you because it's way too smart for him to come up with on his own, that our pathetic need to look good gets in the way of our ability to grow as leaders. When it comes to human-to-human -human interaction, what else gets in the way of making real connections? And I got to interrupt and just say, Nolan, that's just <laughs> one of many Rich Ramseyisms that I have stolen over the years. Okay, so you 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 got that one on target. All Sorry right, to good. interrupt there. Yep. Go ahead, Rich. Yep. I don't remember, you know, maybe the exact moment that Aram heard that from me. If you he did hear it from me mm -hmm. first, but I actually got that from. After I left the military and worked for a short time, after I sorry, after I left the Air Force Academy and worked for a short time for a company called Ranger Network, I got that from Carrie, and uh, I just kind of it hit me that one. And if I haven't said this yet, like I have mastered armoring up, and I have mastered this pathetic need to look good. You know, if there's anything I can do well, it's I can you know have this just really weird need to look good. And I find myself giving myself a lot of opportunities to practice not needing to look good. So yeah, Aram, I, I guess we'll go with you heard that from me, but I'm not sure. <laughs> so I think a few things get in the way of making these really kind of genuine human to human connections. One is judging others. And, and this is you know a type of armor that we can put on that I'm going to judge you for what you're doing or how you're doing it because it's it's going to be a safety of sorts for me to to not maybe have to take responsibility you know maybe for me to not look bad in that situation another one is seeing others mistakes before i'm willing to see my own and this is something that you know over time i've really had to work on myself is constantly pointing out constantly highlighting constantly talking about other people's mistakes that they make. And then a third is assuming that we're trustworthy all the while not trusting others. It's this kind of weird thing that happens that, you know, I, I see myself as I'm, I'm very trustworthy, but, you know, I can find reasons not to trust you. And I think, you know, for me, there's an expression that I'm sure you've heard and, and many listeners have heard that we often judge others by their actions and we judge ourselves by our intentions. And this is something that comes in, you know, quite handy for me uh, in asking myself, like, what am I basing my judgment on? 
And when I'm looking at somebody else and judging somebody else or pointing out their mistakes or highlighting why they can't be trusted, I'm speaking to their actions and I'm looking at what they're actually doing. And I'm completely blind to their intentions. I don't even like consider their intentions until I bring some consciousness to it and actually think about, well, what was that their intention? Was their intention to make whatever mistake they may have made? Was their intention to, you know, not get something turned in on time, whatever it might be. So I think bringing that back to awareness, bringing awareness to I'm judging them by their actions and all the while I'm judging myself by my intentions and, you know, doing a little bit of rebalancing there and considering looking at the actions I'm taking in stepping outside of my own shoes for a moment and standing in their shoes and, and doing my best to see from their perspective, what's the impact of the actions of my actions on them? And what do they think my intentions might be? And I think that's a valuable exercise. Uh, you know, it's something that I find myself doing sometimes when I'm, I'm driving somewhere or something, I, I might just pause to think, well, what might their intentions have been and how might my actions have impacted them? I think that's such an interesting thing that you say, Rich. And, and I know in previous conversations, this awareness uh, of how I'm showing up and engaging with that first doesn't need to come at the compromising of my own beliefs or values. Uh, it actually probably helps me promote my beliefs and values that much more effectively when I am aware of how I show up and not to lead you too much, but there, I know that you've shared in the past um, that you actually kind of saw this in action with, with one of your um, uh, fellow Iraqi commanders that you were working with um, kind of as he demonstrated um, kind of the ability to make these human to human interactions. Do you mind just saying a little bit about kind of um, this individual and, and, and what you saw in practice as, as he kind of, you know, practiced these things? Yeah, for sure. But first, you know, Aram, you, you made a really important point that I don't want to take this too far that, you know, it's not that, you know, all of a sudden I'm making myself out to be wrong or making myself out to be bad. You know, there are things that happen where mistakes get made and they need to get corrected. So, you know, some of that, that again, that judgment keeps us safe and things like that. So I just, I just want to note that I don't want to take this too far that, you know, this is all about we're screwing something up and, and the other people, right. you know, there's nothing to, to work on there. Uh, it's it's a both and, you know, there's probably things that I can work on and, you know, things that others may need to work on as well. But back to the question about the, the Iraqi commander I worked with, his name was Colonel Shocker. And he really, it, it, more so than maybe anyone I've had the opportunity to serve alongside or do some work with, had this self-awareness of the impact he was having on others. Uh, he knew that if he drove into a village uh, in heavily armored vehicles, heavily armored himself, that he just wasn't going to be able to have the impact he wanted to have, that uh, no matter how good his intentions were, others were going to see his actions and judge him for that. So he was very, very careful and very intentional about how he showed up for others. You know, I can remember times he and I getting out of our vehicles together as we drove into a village where maybe there had been an incident the night prior and he would get out of his vehicle wearing only his uniform. That's it. Nothing more. No headgear, no eye protection, nothing. 
I wasn't. But he was able then to have the interactions, the engagements that he wanted to have. He even, you know, kind of Brian and I a little bit. This is a commander who he, prior to he and I working together, he had served on division staff, which is a very, very large organization in an Iraqi army division in Baghdad. And he actually would deploy soldiers from the division around churches in Baghdad to provide security on Christmas Eve. Because he saw that, you know, one, we're more alike than we are different. Two, that if I want you to work with me, then I need to be able to work with you. And that basically, you know, finding fault in each other, even, you know, in this case, going as far as to hurt each other, just wasn't going to solve anything. But learning to work together first by him seeing others for who they were, seeing others as the human beings they were, even though they had different beliefs, different ideas on how things should go or how things should be. He saw them as the human beings they are and had a tremendous impact on the stability, the security, even the peace in that area of Baghdad. So Rich, transitioning from the military example now to the work you've been doing post-military with mid to senior level organizational leaders, can you share an, uh, just another example, because I love that one, of someone you've worked with who was able to drop their armor in, in a different setting, and what was the impact on both their ability to lead and the team they were leading? Yeah, for sure. So one particular client who comes to mind, leading a, a, an organization of about 30 to 35 people, uh, so a small organization. I say organization because it was, it was him leading, he had four direct reports, has four direct reports. Each of them lead, you know, their teams, and he's obviously responsible for the whole thing. You know, and it like in many organizations, teams, even families, things there's conflict started to arise. Things started to go south a little bit from his perspective, and what his perspective was being informed by was people asking him questions that they hadn't asked before, uh, challenging him on things that they hadn't challenged him on before wanting him to be able to explain things before, you know, apparently didn't require any explanation. And he saw this as that they were against him, even out to get him, or maybe even wanted to see him fail. And a couple of things that, that supported him were realizing, one, that no one was saying, hey, I want you to fail. I want you to leave. I don't want you to, to be the leader of this organization. But asking the questions that they were asking and the way they were asking it obviously wasn't comfortable for him or wasn't, you know, the way he would have wanted things to be done it had to, if he had the choice. Uh, but in this case, you know, his, his, this was his people, the people he was leading, and, and they were making the choices on how to interact with him. And once he was able to see that they were simply asking questions, they weren't trying to upend him or run him out, it supported him. But first he had to, to be aware, going back to that awareness, bring awareness to that he was so armored about how he was interacting with them and he was becoming so defensive uh, towards them. And then he was a little surprised, you know, as they, he felt them getting more and more defensive. And it was continuing to help him with the awareness that uh, with the more defensive that you get with them, what might you expect in return? And when he could see that, well, I, I would expect defensiveness in return, then, you know, things started to shift a little bit. The thing that really supported, I think, him 
turning things around both for himself and really ultimately for the whole organization was being able to see that he was kind of making up some narratives about the people he was leading and how they were interacting with him. You know, when I got, had the opportunity to meet with these people, I heard stories about wanting the organization to succeed, wanting the organization to continue to have an impact in the world uh, and make a difference in the world. And yeah, there were some questions about how things were being handled, decisions that were being made, things like that. So, that, you know, there were things to work on both on how team members and organizational members were bringing things to his attention and then how he was responding. And kind of the thing that really helped shift was him realizing that the narratives he was creating, the, the stories he was making up about what they were saying, how they were saying it, the actions they were taking. And when we could recreate those narratives from, you know, the narrative of they want me to fail, uh, they don't want me to lead this organization, to they want the organization to succeed, then he was able to hear them, to able to listen to them in completely different ways. He heard they were saying the same thing, and he heard something completely different. So those are both great examples, Rich. Thank you for sharing that. And it seems so easy to say, but I imagine it's harder to actually do. But in addition to reframing narratives, what other specific techniques do you use when helping a leader reframe their approach and try practicing some things that, uh, that you share? One of the main things is going back to really realizing what are the stories we're telling ourselves. You know, when somebody comes to me with a complaint, if they come and basically, you know, might say something like, I, I need more money. Um, you know, if I hear that as that you're being greedy and, and this person doesn't obviously come to me and say, I'm being greedy. I want more money. They come to me and say, I need more money to, to do what you're asking me to do. I start adding that. Well, they're greedy. Well, they're inefficient. Well, they want, you know, to, to stand out compared to their peers or to, to be different in some way you know, their peers aren't asking for this, bringing awareness to the stories that are getting created by that person or, or, you know, by me in cases where I'm working on myself, I think is critically important. Uh, once somebody realizes that they're creating the stories that they're telling themselves, they can also then bring awareness to recreating the stories and, you know, the example of somebody asking for more money, a bigger budget, the story that they created wasn't true. It's not true that that person is greedy or is inefficient or whatever it might be. And, you know, that goes back to there's things that we need to explore. There's things that we need to examine um, to confirm or deny different suspicions we might have or you know there's gonna be things to look at hey everyone nolan here gonna have to jump in and end today's podcast if you haven't already please rate review and subscribe to the negotiate x podcast and we'll see you next week as we continue part b of this show thank you for listening to negotiate x radio helping you elevate your influence through purposeful negotiations if you're here looking to learn about how to become a better negotiator in both business and life then you're in the right place be sure to join the others who have benefited from NegotiateX.com, your home for negotiations training and consulting online.